So are you ready to be inspired? Awesome. Glad to hear it. You're in the absolute right place because something always wonderful is happening here. And to continue that for us this morning, please welcome our Senior Minister, Spiritual Director, Reverend Patrick Cameron. Thank you. Good morning. Welcome. Here we are. All right. So I'm going to invite you to sing a song with me. We'll say a prayer. If you'd like to stand, you can do that. If you'd like to stay seated, seated, that's okay too. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, There's quite enough joy for all the world And there's quite enough love and quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit, one spirit Is in this very room In this very room In this very room And so I invite you to know with me One life, perfect life That life is God's life I claim that life is my own in this moment In the I am And I invite you to share that I am with me But I speak these words in the I am because there is only one. And so as I speak these words, as I choose it, it chooses me. It chooses us. And so I give thanks this day to that which is being given birth to. That we are here to hospice that which no longer serves us. And to midwife that which is seeking to be born. I give thanks this day knowing that we need not know the how. But simply identifying what is our good. Naming our good here and now this day and knowing also that that good may change tomorrow but to live in that dynamic flow of life in the expectancy and in the active co-creation with spirit that our life is the place where spirit shows up for this I give thanks I give thanks for all the blessings that pour themselves forth by means of each and every one of us sharing our gifts sharing our hearts our imagination our creativity our love I give thanks for this beautiful teaching for all the teachers whose shoulders I stand upon, that we stand upon. I give thanks. I release these words in gratitude and appreciation, knowing that this invocation has helped set our gathering today. With that said, I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you. Thank you, Brown. I was standing in the line on the way, and a lady came through the line that had her Bible today, and she wanted to know why I didn't, we didn't say, and in Jesus' name at the end of our prayer. And I said, well, we certainly honor the teacher Jesus of Nazareth, but we don't believe we have to go through Jesus to get to God. And uh, she said, oh, okay. So, but it's nice when people come and check us out. And, uh, you know, maybe you get that question once in a while. We celebrate all the great teachings on the planet. And we celebrate all the exalted... And was Jesus the Son of God? Of course. 
Absolutely. Did he do all the things that he's reported to have done? Probably at some level. And we celebrate all that. And as he said, these things I have done, ye shall do an even greater. And so our interest, our focus is really about helping embody the Christ consciousness, giving birth to that. And I'm going to share a little bit about, about that today as I move along here. Today's uh, lesson is called Bravery, Hang Gliders, Somersaults, and Rollerblading. <clears throat> and so all that requires, at least in my, in my universe, bravery. And it's been inspired by this book that we have in the bookstore called 29 Questions for the Ordinary Life, which actually I think the 29 questions actually lead us to uh, quite an extraordinary life. And it's written by a, a uh, member of our community that lives in Denver. His name is uh, Norm Bouchard. And in this chapter it says, What would I do today if I were brave? So what would we do today if we were brave? And he, he quotes author James Robinson, Robinson, who says, Greatness in the last analysis is largely bravery. Courage in escaping from old ideas and old standards and respectable ways of doing things. And I think that's a pretty accurate analysis of bravery and courage and the things that... <clears throat> Has anybody here bungee jumped? Anybody know how to bungee jump here? Uh, we watched Laura and I over the last week or so. Dr. James Golden was here last week with us and... It's a wonderful man, and he stayed with us, and he has been taking a motorcycle trip, and so he turned us on to this series that Ian McGregor and Charlie Borman did called Long Way Down and Long Way Around, and they rode their motorcycles in the long way around from London, the long way to New York City. And someone said to me today, you know, you can't, there's no road between, you know, China and, the, and Canada, and I said, no, they, they flew the motorcycle, but anyway, they rode it as much as they could. But it was interesting to... Uh, and so it inspired that, but one of the episodes, they, they were at the Victoria Falls in Africa. This, and then a long way down is from the tip of Scotland to Cape Horn. And they bungee jumped at the Victoria Falls. And I just thought, there's just no way I would ever... I have no interest in jumping off a perfectly good platform into midair. But some people like that. It's just not my cup of tea. The other thing that was interesting about that miniseries that I thought was so telling, and Kathy Ann Lewis referred to it at the uh, Silomar uh, gathering a couple weeks ago, is that... Because they go through Africa, and they go through a number of countries. They don't go through all of them, but they go through quite a few on their motorcycles, and they stop in the villages, and that's the great thing about the documentary. But he said, it's interesting to go out and spend time with people that live like that and see how happy they are. People that have so little and are so happy. And isn't that interesting? You know, what creates happiness in our lives? You know, our theme this year is the art and heart of abundant living. It's over the top of me here. Put it up there, the art and heart of abundant living. And abundance is being satisfied. That's what abundance is. Abundance is being satisfied with what we have. And what, what I think when we say that, or at least what it suggests to me sometimes, when I, when I say that, I, I'm settling. Because what I was told, the message I got as a kid, is just be happy with what you have and shut up. Stop your complaining. But to be satisfied with what we have doesn't stop the flow of, of, of abundance in our lives. But to just be able to look at, at our life today and say, what am I grateful for? What am I satisfied with? What am I joyful about this day? And if, I, and if I live my life that way, and that which we bless, that which we appreciate, multiplies in our lives. So it's very interesting, because we know the law of attraction. This is not a new idea. When we gather on... When I, one of the things I know about Sundays and know about our classwork is that you need to be at the assembly. I need to be at the assembly. I need to be at the gathering. I, the power of the swarm. Eric Butterworth talked about the power of the swarm. 
and in every spiritual community, what, what happens, if we look at the, the life of Jesus, Jesus had 12 apostles, at least the story went. Now, if he could have done what he needed to do without that, he probably would have done that. He probably would have just done it on his own, but he had 12 apostles. But what he had is he gathered around him the consciousness to help give birth to what wanted to give birth. And I think if you look back through history and you look at all the great avatars, the great spiritual teachers that have come down through the, through the ages, they all had disciples. They all had people that helped support. It's the assembly. So you need to be present at the assembly. We have classes here. The stuff we teach in class is not, it's not a mystery. It's the perennial truth verbalized in modern form. Someone asked me if they should, they should buy the science of my textbook. I said, if you're not going to take the class, don't buy the textbook. Go buy some of Abraham Hicks' stuff. Because Jerry Hicks and Esther, or Esther Hicks and Jerry Abraham, write some of the cleanest and purest in contemporary language science of mind that's on the planet right now. And I know some of you have read that stuff. But they've just contemporized it. It's wonderful stuff. <clears throat> but, so you can buy that. And you can, the reason we do classes here, the reason we study the textbook, is there's a consciousness upon the textbook. There's a consciousness that Dr. Holmes wrote from. And so as we, come to, and as we come to classes, we're part of the assembly. We're part of the group. And so the things that are important for us, because we come into disagreement eventually or not, the things that are important for us to, to have revealed or to bubble up for us make themselves apparent. Keats, the poet Keats said that I, the, of this I am certain, the holiness of the heart's affection and the truth of the imagination. The holiness of the heart's affection and the truth of the imagination. And what Keats was talking about was that when we're, we're, when we're following our passion, when we're true to our hearts, and we follow that, we're in that divine flow. And when we're listening to our imagination, because what comes up for us, I was sharing at the earlier service, I had a dream. Part of my pattern is I wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, Sunday mornings. And, and I usually get up and I tell Laura. And I, what I know is if I'm tired, I'm better off sleeping than, than reading because I'm not going to remember everything I read. But typically, I'll, I'm trying to get to bed early Saturday night. And then I'll get up early Sunday morning. And there's a period of time where I do a lot of the kind of preparations. Things sort of download for me. And I go back to sleep usually for a couple hours or an hour or 45 minutes, whatever's available. And I had a dream in that period this today, and, and, and Martin was there. Wherever Martin went, he's there he is. I see him. Found you. He's moving around on me. Anyway. But Martin was there, and we were fixing a hotel up. And Martin was doing the lobby and all of the stuff. All the, and I was in charge of the elevators. And so I'm standing on the elevator, and Martin walks in, and he just, and I, and he just gives me a hug. And I just started to sob. I just was crying and crying and crying. He was just hugging me. And I realized, I, stood, I stared at this at the first service. And, you know, last week I talked, or two weeks ago I talked about, you know, work with the dream. Don't try and figure it out. Well, about 50 people had figured it out by the time they left this last uh, and but, but it was really interesting, as I think some of it was, was, was suggesting some things that were really true. In that the elevator, I was in charge of the elevator, which is lifting, which is lifting consciousness. And Martin was there to just help create that space so the lifting could happen. And it's such a beautiful dance. And I thought, I like that. I'll go with that story today, but subject to change. I'll let you know next week what comes up. <laughs> but, you know, but we can't get married to these ideas either. But it's the truth of the imagination, because the imagination will lead us there. But if we don't have good spiritual practice, if we're, so, if we're in such pain that we can't listen, then we miss all that wonderful information that's pouring itself forth. And this is why we're practical mystics. This is a mystical teaching. We teach exactly what the teacher Jesus taught. It is done unto us as we believe. These things I have done, ye shall do an even greater. Look at medical technology. 
you know, and people that have had this, this amazing thing called plastic surgery where we can recreate a face or we can recreate things now and the stem cell research and all these things. It's amazing. But when most people think of, of the, this idea of Jesus, they think it's a, it's a snapping of the fingers and the healing is done. You know, sometimes it's a journey that's more important than the destination. I was sharing it. I have four... Uh, I have four young people in my life, four children that I'm very involved with. And, and one of the things that, that I know from, I know all the answers for my kids. Anybody else have kids? You have all the answers for them? You know exactly what they should be doing, what their career should be, what, they, what they're hardwired for. It's the hardest thing not to tell them what they should be doing. Because even if you tell them, they're going to ignore you anyway. And they should do that because it's important for them to find their own way. But it's just so interesting to stand there tapping your foot, waiting for them to figure out what you already know. But the, the scariest thing for me is that if I should share something with one of them that I know is right and perfect for them and they actually take my advice, and then 25 years later they come back to me and say, this wasn't mine, this was yours. I never want that to happen. You've got to hold your place. You've got to hold your place. And if you hold the high watch for them and know that they're having the right and perfect experience and you help assist in that and you get them launched, whew, it's fun. It's, it's amazing to watch. Sometimes it just looks so precarious, doesn't it? Sometimes you feel like, it's never going to happen. Like, you know, one of, my, one of my dreams is that I'm going to wake up and go to the door and they're going to be there with their suitcases ready to move back in. <sighs> I am certain of nothing but the holiness of the heart's affection and the truth of the imagination. The holiness of the heart's affection and the truth of the imagination. I told him at the first service I couldn't, because I always want to honor the time when, when, we, when we get together. And there's a poem that I told them, that I'm, you'll hear it next week if you're at the first service, because I promised I'd read this. But Keats, this comes from Keats, and Keats died when he was 25 years old. He was a prolific poet. In fact, his brother loaned him money as a young man, and then his brother fell on hard times. And Keats had made a commitment to, to he felt terrible that he couldn't reciprocate and help his brother in his time of need. And so he decided he was going to do that, but before he did that, he was going to spend a period of time writing poetry. So he poured himself into it, and he was prolific. And he wrote this. He fell in love, and I just think this is so fascinating. I want to read it. It's a short poem. He says, my love has made me selfish. I cannot exist without you. I am forgetful of everything but seeing you again. My life seems to stop there. I see no further. You have absorbed me. I have a sensation at the present moment that as though I was dissolving. I should be exquisitely miserable without the hope of soon seeing you. I have been astonished that men could die martyrs for religion. I have shuddered at it. I shudder no more. I could be martyred for for my religion. Love is my religion. I could die for that. I could die for you. This guy was out of his mind. But that is the holiness of the heart's affection. You know, to throw yourself into that. And what, what, for me, this whole teaching, when we talk about oneness and we talk about the mystical teaching, it's about atonement. See, the whole gift in this is healing the separation. We feel separate from spirit. That has been my experience. I move out of my, my, my connection with spirit because all of a sudden I start to read the paper or things happen and it pulls us out. And that's why it's important to step back into the power of the assembly. It's important to have things around us. That's why spiritual practice is so important. Spiritual practice isn't for th- when times are going great. It's easy to know God is everywhere present. I'm one with God when everything's going great. It's when things go sideways. That, and if we have strong enough practice, we can bring ourselves back to it. 
And that's part of the assembly. That's part of the group. That's the power of the swarm. And that's the apostles. You know, when Jesus was in the uh, garden, uh, the Mount, Mount Olive, the night before he was arrested and taken away, at Matthew 26, it says that he said to the, uh, a few of the apostles, he said, stay awake with me. Stay awake with me. I need to pray. Because he, he sensed what was happening. He wasn't running away. He said, just stay with me and stay awake. And what happened was they all fell asleep. And so when he went over to him, he said, you couldn't stay awake for an hour? I asked you to stay awake with me. You couldn't stay awake for an hour? Now, is that an accurate story? I don't know. It wasn't there. But I think the metaphor, I think the truth of it is, is when we come together, we are in a vibrant spiritual community alive and awakened by personal transformation to teach and demonstrate living from spirit. In order to do that, we have to stay awake. And my chance of, of staying awake is far greater in, in community and with classes. So the reason that we do classes is so that the information is out there. But the, informa- the classes gives us an opportunity to practice and to try and prove this. Prove this teaching. Because if we're not proving this teaching, it's worthless. Dr. Holmes said one of my favorite phrases, realization without application is hallucination. I've had people recite chapter and verse to science in my textbook to me, and their life's a mess. I'm thinking, hmm, I don't know. Because they've got it memorized, they're just not living from it. And I know people that have never taken a science of mind class in their lives are extraordinary and exquisite and powerful and wonderful. So how do we use it? How do we make it real in our lives? It's important to stay awake. And so the waking up and we fall asleep awake, we wake up again. We fall asleep awake up again. We fall asleep awake up again. It's just the way it works. I was talking to Brian McLeod before our first service today, and he, he'd just gotten back from uh, an ashram in Quebec. And uh, doing yoga, checking in, make sure my information's correct. Getting some nods there, that's good. But he said to me this morning, he said, Brian, you cut your hair. He goes, yeah, I got up the other day and just decided I'd go ahead and cut it. I said, you cut it yourself? He said, yep. I said, well, you should use a mirror next time when you do that. <laughs> He's smiling. He knows I'm kidding him. But what he shared with me, he said, you know, I'm thinking about being a monk. And I thought, isn't this sweet? You know, because we want to dip into it. We start to, you know, once you, once you become a toxic, that's what Rumi was all about. He was a lover of God. And so what I know, and I know being around Brian, and I know around Martin as well, their deep devotion. It's one of the reasons that they're such a, a gift to us when they come and share their music, because they just dip in. And Dan, the drummer man, he's just been going through tra- transformation. And Brown, all these guys, their music and the transformation that's going on, because they're in it. Their lives are their music. So when Brian said that to me, I said, well, Brian, you know, you don't have to go away to be a monk. But sometimes it's helpful, you know. Abundance is being satisfied with what we have today. It's that simple. It's not a secret. And that which we bless multiplies. And the atonement, the reason that this is a a teaching of atonement, at-one-ment is what atonement is. No separation, living in full in, in full communication and, and experience of oneness is that what is, the, what is the infinite, what is the divine, is ours. If there's only one, it's all ours. Now, if you go out to start your neighbor's car tomorrow morning, then he wonders where you're going. It doesn't work that way. But what is, what is God's is ours. And how we tap into that. We, and so we, we, we make it as hard as, or, or as easy as we possibly can. Dr. Bitzer, who was a contemporary of Ernest Holmes, when people would come to him and they'd be struggling, he'd ask him two questions. Two questions. Number one, have you tithed lately? Have you tithed lately? 
And number two, is there someone that, or something that you need to forgive? So what he was talking about was stepping into the flow of life. It's easy for us to hoard. It's easy for us to feel small. And what we're here for is to, to identify and to refine and develop our talents and skills and give them away. That's our gift to the world. And part of that is financial. Part of that is our, our energy. What are we giving our energy to? And the other part of it is because the forgiveness blocks that conversation. We can stay stuck in that. We can stay stuck in the lack. We can stay stuck, stuck in the resentment. And we've all had good reason to be resentful at times in our lives. It's the nature of it. But the opportunity is to put those things down. I shared with you last week, uh, or two weeks ago, because Dr. James was with us last week, naming our good. If you weren't here, I'll catch up a little bit. But when we were at Asilomar, uh, Dr. Kathy Ann Lewis did a workshop, and it was called Money, um, Mysticism, and Magic. She said, the only reason I put the money in there is it gets people to the workshop. <laughs> but she said, really, what most people don't want in their... And it, not that you don't want it, but most people's challenge is not money. Isn't it interesting? And, and in fact, one guy said, no, I disagree. Put his hand up. We were in the chapel of the Solomar. It seats about 250 people. He said, no, my, my, I do want money. And so she asked him about three or four questions, and it turned out at the end of three or four questions, didn't want the money. But, but it's interesting when we dig deep to what it is we want. Now, money's a wonderful thing. It's a great tool. It's an exchange. It's how we exchange. We don't barter anymore. I don't bring a goat in here, and then you bring a cow in, and then a buck and a milk and a bushel of apples. I mean, that's, that was the rate of it. We now carry this stuff in our, our pockets. Yeah, I still got some in there. That's good. I got a bud. I went down to that. They're doing a carnival in the basement. I had, like, I had like $17 in coins when I went down. I came back up. I have three left. I said, here, you need seed money. So they're down there doing this carnival thing with the kids. It's wonderful energy down there. But in naming your good, when we name our good, 85% of a demonstration or a shift and change of consciousness is naming our good. What is our good? Now, if you're next, here next week... I'm going to do this. I'm going to pick somebody out of the audience, and we're going to, we're going to work with this. Because you know, how many people here know what their good is? One, two, three, four, five, six. See? See? We come, we, we get together, and we, we know that thought is creative. We know that our consciousness uh, precedes experience. And we're sitting there going, oh, I don't know. I kind of know what my good is. But when we name our good, excuse me, it's 85% of the demonstration. But we can name our good and then walk out of here and forget about it and it gets all muddy and foggy and then we don't stay with it and then all of a sudden we have chaos in our lives and we wonder why we have chaos in our lives. Well, our thought becomes cloudy. So naming our good, getting clear about it, writing it down. How we understand God explains everything we do. How we understand God, our faith in God or not, explains how, everything that we do. So how big is your God? How big is the God in your life? How big, big is the God in my life? We can use our science, the science of mind is what our, our textbook is called. We can use our science to solve our problems rather than to pursue our greatness. When I first came to this teaching, I had a lot of problems. I was in a lot of pain. And I just wanted this, the pain to stop. And I didn't know there was something like this. I was raised that life, you suffer and suffer and suffer. And the suffering is good because I'm getting people out of purgatory and limbo and all kinds of places. And so that was, what the, that was my mindset. And I thought, oh, this is just, this isn't, I'm not having any fun. I had all the holy cards saved up. I had all the plenary indulgences. Was, I even went to the seminary to talk to the priest about becoming a priest. 
and became really clear I was not ever going to be a priest. When I found this teaching, I thought, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I've believed my entire life. I didn't know there were other people who thought this way. That's part of our challenge is we think we're the only one that thinks like we think. And so many of us think the same way, or we, we're, we're, we're inclined to think this way. But naming our good is 85%, of then the next, there's six more steps to it. Number two is denying that anything can get in our way. Denying that anything can get in our way. And the things that come up for us, we, have to, we just get to clean them up. So when we go into class and all of a sudden we name our good, they'll have you doing prayer treatment in the class, in some of the classes, most of the classes. Be doing affirmative prayer, and you'll name your good. And then all of a sudden stuff shows up. And that's the stuff that's, that's stopping us from stepping into it or having the experience or allowing it into our lives. That's just the work that, that's available for us. So cleaning that stuff up. The third step is affirming. So number two is denying that anything can get in our way because nothing can get in my way because I'm clear about what my good is. And so when it shows up, I deal with it. Oh, that, this, this idea that I can't. In Norm Bouchard's book here, he asked people to name their good and there's just little snippets, one after another. It says, generally, I've done some brave things in my life. This is from a lady named Carol. I took a year off between my sophomore and junior year of college to travel to Israel alone and work on a kibbutz. Moved halfway across the country from family after graduating from college, leaving a secure job with the state to work for myself. I even considered ending my relationship of 30 years with a friend. Brave when it no longer serves us. On a daily basis, the brave choice is to be aware of thoughts that say, I can't do that, I can't say that, or I can't ask for that and doing whatever that is anyway. I love these E.E. E. Cummings quote that says, it takes courage to grow up and become who we really are. To be who I truly am today is brave. And I like that because what it is is that when, so when we're doing the work and all of a sudden we're, this new affirmation, this new affirmative prayer, it comes up, we deny that anything can get in our way. So when that, that conversation comes up, say, you know what, that's a conversation I've lived with my whole life, but I don't agree with that anymore. It doesn't represent me anymore. So I bless it and put it down. And through the classwork and through the, the power of the assembly, see, when we're in class, we're giving birth to something. We're giving birth to a consciousness. When we come together on Sundays, we're giving birth to something, collectively and individually. Number three, affirm your good from the place you already are, you're already there. She, uh, Kathy Ann, and this all comes from Emma Curtis Hopkins, who was the teacher of teachers. It comes out of her scientific mental practice. She said, we have angels and demons within us. Our destination is determined by who we listen to. So when, if we're listening to I can't and I can't ask for that and I don't deserve that, guess what? So we need to be awake enough. We need to stay awake together long enough so we can deal with that and have that conversation effectively. That's why we work with practitioners because practitioners can know something for us until we catch up. It's simple. We ask for help. It doesn't mean we're weak to ask for help. Platitudes don't change the world. I'm perfect, whole, and complete. I'm perfect, whole, and complete. I'm perfect, whole, and complete. The religious science that dies goes to heaven, stands in the corner, waving the fan, saying, I'm not dead, and I'm not here. I'm not dead, and I'm not here. And I'm not dead, and I'm not here. It's a platitude. Truth changes the world, and truth moves us forward. She said, Emma Curtis Hopkins said, there's only one don't. There's only one don't. Don't complain. Don't complain. Be clear of your good. Good is another word for God. Write your good down. And then write your obstacles down. Why am I not step moving into this? What's keeping me from that? Write it down and look at it. If it's not true of God, it's not true for me. If it's not true for God, it's not true for me. 
Number four, solidify your faith. You continually say what is true and not true of you. Solidify your faith. And you make a covenant with God. I do nothing. See, this is really hard for us. I do nothing to make it happen. God does everything to make it happen. When we do affirmative prayer, we release it. The reason we release it, so we let it go. So the universe can do its thing. So it can continue to conspire in a good and wonderful way doesn't mean we don't do what's before us because we know what we should do. But it means we get out of the way enough so that this, this wonderful thing can show up. That's why we release the prayer. You've got to let it go. Once the car is parked and the ignition is off, you don't need to steer it anymore. You're at the destination. Solidify your faith because the universe will do everything to make it happen. We just need to be clear about what the good is. We identify the good, name it and claim it, and do the work to nurture that. And if, if something starts to slip or slide one way or another, you bring yourself back with spiritual practice. You come back to the assembly. You have people around you that support you in love, like Jesus did with the apostles. He didn't fire them all when they all went to sleep. He just said, how come you guys couldn't stay awake with me for an hour? Number five, our words are in alignment with our new reality. So our conversation needs to change. The I am, to, to pray from and affirm from, I am the consciousness of, of wonderful health. I am the consciousness of abundance. I am the consciousness of dynamic, vibrant financial um, activity in my life. I am the consciousness of multiple streams of passive income into my life. How do people create that in their lives? How does someone have passive income? Enough income so they don't have to work. They started with a new thought, with a new idea. And they affirmed it in the I am. They started with the end in mind right here and right now. They don't talk about will be or going to be. I am right here and right now. And the universe responds to that. Because the universe only hears in the now. Number six, words have power. We activate this law through words. We activate the law through our words. And so let's pick our words wisely. Kathy Ann Lewis told a story in Seattle, in, uh, at the Asilomar event. She said that Brother Taytay has come to her, his com- her community in Seattle. And there's about 3,000, 4,000 people that participate there. And she said, Brother Taytay gives himself three words a day to use. Three words a day. If you had three words a day, would you pick them carefully? I don't know if I could do three words a day. I got my, I use three words up just getting out of bed. And number seven, you finally understand. You finally understand. You need to prove this. Not for us, not for anybody else. You need to prove it to yourself. Because it builds that spiritual muscle. It builds that confidence. It builds the faith. Because understanding comes from experience. I know this stuff works. When I came here eight years ago, in November it'll be eight years, and this is about what we would have for a group on Sunday, about this many people. And we did one service, and there were wooden pews here. We had a red carpet that ran down the middle. The platform was a lot lower. Uh, We didn't have the sound system we have now. We didn't have the musical team. We didn't have the practitioner core. We didn't have any staff ministers. I was pretty much rowing the boat myself. And so if you look back, and so we can look out in the future and say, oh, you know, we need a new this or new that, or we'd like to have this and that. And that's all well and good, but to celebrate abundance is celebrating this, the contentment and the satisfaction of today. It's a wonderful day. If I, if I leave here th- this afternoon, and for whatever reason, my, my, and I'm planning on living forever, by the way, but if my ticket gets punched, I've got to tell you, this has been just a tremendous ride with wonderful people. You are amazing, wonderful people. And I thank you so much. You have added so much to my life in, in ways you cannot imagine. 
just, you cannot imagine. So I, I'm, I'm so grateful for that, and I celebrate that, and I bless that. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to be called to a new idea. There's other things that I know that we can, we can do and do well. That's part of it, but to not lose sight of this moment and to just be grateful. So grateful for every person that has ever walked through that door, whether they've come through once or a hundred times. It's a beautiful thing. It's all good, and it's all God. I am certain of nothing but the holiness of the heart's affection and the truth of the imagination. So it is. Hey, buddy.